What's up, and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheen. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, you got all the blue face off, I see. Um, yeah, man. You know, everything comes with a cost, so you gotta do it again. <laughs> Dave went to a Brockhampton show last night, a band that he's been standing for on this pod, and that had a, a pretty huge year in 2017, breakout year for them. How was the show? Dude, the show was absolutely fantastic. I cannot lie. I've been to a lot of rap shows and Brockhampton is definitely one of the best shows I've ever seen. They perform for two hours, which is, I don't think I've ever seen anyone go longer than that. Usually hour and a half is the standard for good established people. You know, Kanye usually, mm-hmm. Kendrick, those are hour and a half people. But they went for two hours. And, you know, this whole tour they've been on, the Love Your Parents tour, their second tour, uh, they didn't sell it out everywhere. They just came off three sold-out shows in New York City at Irving Plaza. Flipped that right into wow. House of Blues of Boston, which was sold out. Crowd energy was insane which makes sense. You know, no one's really going to a Brockhampton show if they don't know who they are or are a big fan. So that, that, that adds up. But uh, yeah, their, their energy, their stage presence uh, was awesome. They had this really minimal set, but there was like chairs and like a couch and stuff. And they were like chill and like sit down and like pose when like, you know, there was a song going on that not all the members were in. And it was really interesting. Mm. Like, it was a way for them to like both like ke- catch their breath, but also still be on the stage. It was, it was, it was cool touch. What do you call it? At the very end, they, they told everyone who was wearing the orange jumpsuit or the blue face to uh, come up to the front, which was, you know, I was wow. probably like 20 something kids. And uh, then they did Star again. So, you know, uh, Star, that's the song I've referenced before with all the punchlines from Saturation One, uh, one of their biggest, mm-hmm. most popular songs. And they did that as an encore like three times, maybe. It was freaking crazy. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, they did, awesome, all their, they did all their bops, all their hits. It was a great time. So I uh, definitely endorse seeing Brockhampton. You probably can't go see him this uh, tour. It's almost all sold out. Definitely worth it because those guys are stars. And uh, they really brought it for uh, people that are new to touring. It was awesome. Yeah, and if, if you're into them at all and you can't catch them on this tour, you'll catch them at pretty much any festival this summer. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see them again at Governor's Ball. Really hyped now. They're not going to be at House of Blues or Irving Plaza next time, man. They're going to be somewhere way bigger. So we have a lot of news, but for once... News dropped before we recorded, so thank you, news gods, here <laughs> gracing us this week. Benioff and Weiss, writers and uh, producers and directors for some episodes of Game of Thrones, have been signed on to Star Wars to produce their own trilogy, write and produce their own trilogy, unrelated to the Skywalker episodes or the Ryan Johnson trilogy. It seems like a really weird way to wrap up Game of Thrones, I guess, uh, season eight just being out in space. But what are your thoughts? Uh, on yeah, that? so the key word in that announcement is produce and write because those guys are adept at the pen, as we've seen on Game of Thrones. That's very exciting. But yeah, I think what what this means, you know, the Ryan Johnson trilogy, as well as this Benioff and Weiss, they said series, they didn't say trilogy. So, you know, we'll assume it's three right. films until it's more or less. But what, I think what this means is that the, the spin-off films, the anthologies that we initially were expecting to go around the saga films, those are probably done. So Rogue One and Solo, which we'll talk about the trailer in a minute, those are probably the last ones. You know, that Obi-Wan movie that's been rumored in development, Ewan McGregor said he would be down but hasn't heard anything about it. They don't announce that Obi-Wan movie at D3, the Disney Expo, this summer. That movie's probably done because then we'll just be in Ryan Johnson and Benioff and Weiss time. So like 2020, the year after episode nine, that's probably the window for that Obi-Wan movie uh, or mm-hmm. another spinoff movie that you do something else. I'm sure they'll eventually do something with Boba Fett, even though uh, the Josh Trank thing was long since dropped. But yeah, they're either going to do a, that gap year, probably in 2020, 
or uh, we'll get the spinoff. But yeah, in the meantime, 2020s themselves will be uh, populated by Ryan Johnson and Benioff and Weiss. And if you watched our last Jedi review, you know how we feel about the Ryan Johnson. More more of that. So I'm excited for mm-hmm. this is just more 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 things. And you know, uh, this is probably a great way for Benioff and Weiss to leave that Confederate project at HBO, which was so controversial. <laughs> yeah. Because they can you know they can do what JJ did when he left Star Trek to come to Star Wars. Oh, I got more money. And I, I like Star Wars. I grew up with Star Wars. <laughs> Can't say no to that. It's an easy excuse. Right. So it's exciting for sure. Basically, in their re- statement in their release, unsurprisingly said that they were like enamored with Star Wars in 1977 and have been ever since. So, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine a director out there today that would be like, oh, yeah, hated Star Wars growing up, but can't pass up this opportunity. But, I mean, Disney, especially when you think about what we've been talking about in, like, the bigger picture, building out those digital platforms and a subscription-based platform, I mean, this is a huge get because when you talk about series, and I mean, you assume it's a movie, this is the sort of thing that is going to, like, Star Wars in general as a property is going to draw people to the Disney platform if you can access those movies at any time. But do you think there's any possibility that these won't be, like, films that makes the big screen but may, might only be for like an exclusive platform if it's down the line no i, I, I don't think so i mean they, no. they announced alongside that disney streaming service official announcement that they were doing a live action star wars series finally actually mm. accomplishing that for the service so i think with that already in development and set to debut on the platform and sell the said platform yeah there's no way they would restrict benioff and weiss to something that is doing a streamer because they, they, they don't need to fill it you know they, this the feature films they because they're going to make the films forever. They need talented people to do it. Ryan Johnson can't do everything. So, yeah, it makes sense for these to be uh, features. Either way, I'm, like, interested in that idea because, you know, Netflix has been throwing a lot of money at just basically creatives and saying, like, do what you want with it. Disney has such a huge amount of money to, like, throw it and get these sort of people. Building up that library in this way is phenomenal. And Star Wars, just in general, getting good directors is the best move that they could possibly do as they expand that universe. Exactly. Nothing but good news for that. And hopefully uh, they can focus on finishing up Game of Thrones and making sure that that yeah. has a great last season. Shooting right now. On to Star Wars. So we'll, we'll see. Like you mentioned, though, Solo trailer. We hadn't heard a thing except for uh, there were problems. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich seemed to be Jim's, Jim Carrey in Han Solo clothing. And Ron Howard took over to write the ship. Finally got a trailer, dropped during the Super Bowl, which uh, actually I hadn't thought about. I was I was thinking about the game, but it makes sense that it dropped then, I think. What were your thoughts on the trailer? I was hyped at moments and really not hyped at moments. Yeah. So yeah, you got like a, a 45 second like TV spot, then you got a full 90 second teaser the next day on Good Morning America. So there's a fair amount of screens there to look at. Like you said, it, the movie comes out Memorial Day, three months away almost. First time we saw anything. And that's obviously because of the tumult with Ron Howard taking over for Lord and Miller. We talked about the Lord and Miller firing back when it happened, why it made sense, you know, all right. that. So you can check that breakout on our YouTube SoundCloud.com, so Nostalgia Pod, you know the drill. But uh, yeah, so now actually seeing it, seeing the teaser, overall, I gotta say, I'm uh, obviously a big Star Wars fan, so you know, I'm incl- I want to like it, but yeah, I'm more positive than I expected. I think it looks stellar. It looks like classic original trilogy vibes, much like Rogue One did. You have Bradford Young doing the cinematography. He did Arrival. Mm-hmm. Combine that with Ron Howard finishing up a, a big boy director with Lawrence Kasdan's script, however much of that they actually did. It's really got the A-team there, and it looks fantastic. I'm just excited to... I'm, I am excited to see it because I'm excited to go back to that, you know, just pre-New Hope Empire world. It just looks so cool. And then once you go from there, I mean, I think the costumes look dope. Obviously, the meme yep. of Donald Glover as Lando with that like <laughs> cape or cow, whatever it was, awesome was dope. Jacket. 
Yep, uh, Amelia Clark has some cool ass get up in in the second teaser, and I mean, there's that that shootout look uh, looking scene on a beach looks fucking dope. Mm-hmm. The Millennium Falcon looking all clean, you know. I mean, that's a, I think that's a cool touch. But then what really got me was when I saw Donald Glover as uh, Lando Calrissian, of course, when he smirked in that second teaser, like, yep. he just like kind of like smiled. I was like, fuck, dude, that's it, that's it. <laughs> And yeah. it's so crazy because <laughs> Donald Glover is a much more famous person than Alden Ehrenreich. And mm-hmm. despite that, he fucking looks like Lando. And of course, we believe in him. Yep. But of course, the, we don't need to relitigate you know, the issues. Mm-hmm. This movie w- was questionable from the start. A lot of people had a big problem with it existing. That doesn't change. Some people will just probably not accept the movie because... Aaron Reich's not their hot, and nor should he be. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to, as long as he doesn't like actively suck, I'll probably enjoy the movie because I like Star Wars. Star Wars movies are fun, and Kathleen Kennedy and them, they know what they're doing. You know, I don't think they're just going to release a dud. But I got to say, Chris Ryan, he had a really good point. Is Alden Aaron Reich the Markel Fultz of Star Wars? Oh, shit. That's a great analogy, actually. I saw some fanboy stuff, and they're like, Aaron Reich, terrible choice. Why would they ever do that? And I'm like, that's bullshit. Everyone was like, Aaron Reich, best possible choice. He was awesome in Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it worked so simple. Yep. You know the drill. It's like everyone was like hype, just like Markel Fultz. Consensus number one pick. Great combo. Mm-hmm. Great compliment to Ben Simmons and Embiid. Makes total sense. And yet, here we are. Yeah, there's that scene where I think it's Amelia Clark is talking to Aaron Reich, and he's supposed to act like, I don't know, kind of bewildered, but also like, you know, it's Han Solo. Han Solo's always cool. Like, even when he's like not so sure of himself, he always comes across as like, cool and suave Aaron Reich just looks like I don't know bashful I guess and it just did not seem like good acting but there's that other moment where you know like the, the screen comes uh, across yes. and it, you're looking through the grate and he looks up and he looked kind of like Harrison Ford's Han Solo when he had that look so I was like he's in a no-win position because exactly. even if even exactly. if he does really well people are gonna say he's not Harrison Ford but if, if he bombs here this could be like someone else we're gonna be talking about Kind of like Taylor Kitsch, where they're on the come up. It seemed like this person is poised to have a a huge career breakout. And then a couple, uh, this project, but for Kitsch, a couple of projects derailed that. Yeah, I agree with all everything you said. One of the things I thought was cool, and this is just a little piece from the trailer. There's a a scene where the Millennium Falcon is being chased by a bunch of uh, TIE fighters, obviously. And it actually turns and hits one and destroys it that way. And I was like, I had never thought of like that as like a a video game. Exactly. It seemed very like creative and new. Mm-hmm. I think as we're talking though, the thing I'm most excited for is if Lover's Awesome is Lando in this movie, like a Lando spinoff mm-hmm. from this movie would be really cool. And especially if you could get Donald Glover, I mean, I think you, you take right. him, but this movie is probably not going to be as big as Rogue One or, or as liked as Rogue One. Probably or not. No, I, I think ones. that's pretty safe. It's just my takeaways from the teaser is that it looks like they, they tried to make everything else as good as it possibly could be. And exactly. in hindsight, I don't know why we ever doubted that that would be the case. You know, look, look who we're dealing yeah. with. And and it makes a lot, a lot of sense that they tried to go with a like comedic mm. route almost to it, or like a goofy route, because you, you wanted to make it a little different because you know you're going up against something that can't compare just in fans' eyes. I just hope yeah. they can land most of this. Yeah, no, that, that reminds me. I mean, when they fired Lord and Miller and they, they brought in Ron Howard, I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, you got really young and exciting fresh directors for someone who's so boring so hollywood and ron howard but i think you know thinking about remember the last jedi a lot of like you know the angry fanboy critiques were that there was very few moments of humor and levity in a long dark movie they hated mm-hmm. you know the, the the luke drinking the milk and the porgs and all that shit 
If Lord and Miller did a whole Han movie, I don't know how those same people who already didn't want a Han movie would like all that humor. So I think maybe toning it down a bit, which is what I think is going to be the case, was probably smart. Definitely. Just for the success, especially if Aaron Reich is going to be questionable, you know, as his right. performance. Because that said performance would be even worse if it was trying to be funny. I, I like the I, I like the initial idea of it, but it makes sense to tone it back and just try to make this a, a C plus, B minus, if possible. They're not going for anything right. here at this point. So something else that happened during the Super Bowl, uh, Justin Timberlake performed. Mm-hmm. Man, was that a performance? <laughs> it, it does it, uh, qualify. So I started to have a lot of worries about this performance. Probably the day before the, or I think it was the Friday when, when the album dropped and they said, there's going to be a Prince hologram mm. performing at this. I was like, is this going to be the Tupac hologram from Coachella with Snoop Dogg? First of all, Prince and Timberlake had like a very well-known beef in the music industry. Timberlake took shots at, at Prince in one of his songs, which I mean, first of all, Justin Timberlake having any depth to his songs in general and calling you out, I mean, just absurd exactly i was pleasantly surprised because i think my expectations performance were kind of low and i thought he did okay he kind of did what i expected where ended with you know the most vanilla but popular song he's probably ever had in his career (laughs) stuck to a lot of the the older stuff for the main part the prince tribute i didn't think was horrible although it's still like it was tasteful yeah tasteful and it was an impressive performance in terms of the choreography was great he was all over the field he went to all these different stages it was mean boy but i saw that you didn't like it very much what what were you well no i just thought the sound design was fucking bad his mic was off he was quiet i heard his reference track too much it's like i'm used to hearing the reference track when i'm watching uzi vert you know you're not Mm -hmm. justin timberlake (laughs) it's a little different right so i don't know i just thought the audio was a little off and actually it's funny i was talking to my mom on the phone and she actually mentioned his mic as well i was like all right it wasn't just me it wasn't just my tv yeah everybody was like turn the mic up yeah it was solid like he he, he smartly only did the one man in the woods song and he did it in that mm-hmm. underground bunker because he wanted yep. to hide the song because he knew how bad it was <laughs> but yeah it's kind of funny to think about it now but can't stop this feeling the song we've made fun of for damn near two years that's his biggest hit crazy it's very telling though as we as we transition into the album that dropped on friday man of the woods that a song like that which i think the word we use to describe it most often is vanilla this album isn't even vanilla dude it's like uh, the palate cleanser i guess that it doesn't taste like anything there's nothing there exactly he initially described this album as uh, 808s mixed with americana so it's supposed to be a kanye mixed with southern style or stapleton folk singing yeah and uh, man he just missed the mark completely he had the 808s let me tell you he had yeah. 808s on almost every song but yeah like you said it's vanilla it just sounds like the most lowest common denominator contemporary pop sound you can imagine like yep. he didn't do any ballads it was just completely not what he was originally selling and the cop out and say it's named after his son Silas, whose name is of the woods or whatever. It's like, yep, but you still bought into the woodsman thing with the trailer and your outfits, so you, you couldn't actually take the risk with the music itself. So even his outfit at the super right, and like the, if you didn't follow through on that and the music was still good, you wouldn't care. Why would I bother? Why, you know, what's it matter? But because the music was also bad, it just makes it look even worse. Yeah, and you know, I th- I thought there were some interesting beats on the album, and obviously it was he went back to the well and, and produced with Timbaland and the Neptunes, 
on uh, most of these songs but a lot of times the songs would like go on for way too long and it seemed like when they did change up the change up made absolutely no sense and just made me more confused about the song than mm-hmm. anything like what was the point of that and lyrically yeah. i mean this song this album is just a mess yeah this he he was never like an amazing songwriter but the songwriting here is fucking bad just yeah. it's just lyrically deficient and I, th- I think the interesting thing is like you think about what timberlake represents now as a competent well-liked entertainer broadly mm-hmm. speaking i i, I can i can't help but think of him this the way i think of his good friend he's like jimmy fallon don't yeah. expect him to actually say anything just let him entertain you broadly mm-hmm. uh that's that's that's, that's all he point. can do you know i mean he he didn't really want to answer any questions about the woody allen movie wonder wheel he was in which i think is kind of telling he broadly has nothing to say that's who justin timberlake always has been yeah it, it's a it's a great point you think about the songs that that stand out to you about him and none of them are actually meaningful or any way or really say anything i think he does well when he leans on love songs and, and think and, or heartbreak sure. which is a pretty common thing for most people to draw on but even in, in this album like you think about the last track young man which first of all features a recording of his son uh, and multiple parts on it and jessica beale is also featured on the album multiple times yeah. and the songwriting is just like you, you think about this kind of thing where you're writing a song to your son and you think about i don't know like cat stevens comes to mind the cats in the cradle silver silver spoon song that, that sort of thing where you're talking about like regret this song is just like yeah you're gonna break people's hearts and you need to get up when you get pushed down it's like all right you're really not saying anything that's justin timberlake to a t there's not really much more to say i think filthy is probably the best song off this right and it's not I, like that I guess <laughs> i think montana is like the best song in terms of the woodsy vibe he was pretending to sell yeah. you not to say that he achieves there but you know he, he does lose the 808s a little bit at the end but yeah i think it's even I, honestly like, this album comes four plus years after 2020 experience part two for such a long layoff uh it's a pretty poor effort you know i, I don't know what else to say it, did he rush this out to match his super bowl performance where he could just sell the album you know i mean maybe i can't imagine him w- working on this more would have brought more depth mm-hmm. it seems like he just doesn't have anything really to talk about at this nope. point i think he'll probably move more towards acting as he continues to move forward because i think musically he's just kind of you know like he said entertain. uh someone that is entertaining and also dropped an album this weekend rich brian aka or formerly known as rich chiga and you mentioned at the end of last week's pod about how that came to be formed he is a former vine star which i mean vine keep producing stars for us yeah he's fucking funny have you seen any of his vines? Yes. Absolutely. They're they're old, but man, he had some good ass vines. I gotta give it to the kid. <laughs> you know, this was an album I wasn't planning on listening to, but I saw a lot of people tweeting about it, including yourself, so I gave it a listen. This album sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. So I was so surprised and I mean, I think it has some major issue. He raps in a monotone voice throughout the whole thing. I would like him to show a little bit more, I think, emotion mm-hmm. behind when he raps. He also his lyrics aren't necessarily deep or, or meaningful in any way but for a first album and someone that no one took seriously right this blew me away yeah no i i think that's that's spot on lyrically it's you know nothing too special he, he's witty at times you know but overall i think the storytelling angle it's pretty straightforward pretty simple right but the fact that we're talking about storytelling with a 18 year old rapper is a good sign right we don't do that with everyone (laughs) and yeah like you mentioned that sounds great he produced or co-produced every song 
which is very impressive. Again, the kid's only 18. For a debut, I, I can't help but think of him, the, uh, compare him to Little Dicky, because uh, Little Dicky is mm. someone who came into rap in non-traditional means, both not taking it seriously as first, doing other things. For both of them, really, it was comedy. But I think Rich Brian has a better chance at being more accepted in mainstream hip-hop. Part of that's probably because he's not white, but also because it actually seems like he's about it, whereas Dicky still kind of seems like rap just a gimmick for him. And also, it helps that on Amen, Rich Brian is uh, not just joking around the whole time. I think that, that goes a long way. Overall, yeah, like you said, it's not an amazing album or anything, but it's a very impressive debut for someone that we did not expect anything from. You know, I honestly, I thought... That Sick, that big song that he came out with, which was playing on African-American and Asian stereotypes, very problematic, but it was funny. I thought that would be his biggest moment. And then he really kind of turned the corner when he started releasing singles up to this, uh, Glow Like That and Mm -hmm. Chaos and See Me. Three of my favorite songs were all singles. Overall, I think there's a lot to like on this, and I think he's got a good base behind it with the 88 Rising label management group. So I'm optimistic for his future, no doubt. Yeah, and something that we were talking about it off air that you mentioned to me that surprised me even more is that he made most of the beats for this album, mm-hmm. which is, I think, also impressive because it wasn't just rapping on this, obviously, that, that caught me, but I think just the overall sound of the album sounded, the beats sounded unique at points, uh, adding in some, some cool elements. I mean, there was obviously some, like, Mike Will made yeah. knockoffs on there, but overall, I, this is very promising. He kind of, you know, the person that came to my mind was Charles Gambino, you know, coming from a comic background, got into rapping, a lot of like punchline rap, which there were definitely some some punchline yeah. type lyrics in this. This is and better than early Gambino, though. I'll tell is. you that. That that's actually what I wrote down was early Gambino was there. There were moments, but there weren't nearly as many as on this album. So mm-hmm. congratulations, Rich Brian. You uh, outdid Timberlake this <laughs> in twenty eighteen so far. So also, I gotta mention he's the first Asian artist to top the iTunes hip hop chart. So ah. shout out to Brian. Shout out to Brian. So moving on to someone else we also talked about, or maybe not someone else, but a show we we mentioned last week, Waco, starring Taylor Kitsch, Michael Shannon, and a bunch of uh, those guys. Paul Sparks. Yeah. <laughs> Shea Wiggum. Like, yep. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Plus Sean Guzama and Supergirl. I wrote down here, John Eric and Drew Dowdle. Never heard of these guys, but uh, they're the ones who are writing and producing this for Paramount TV, formerly Spike. And it's been two epi- what two episodes in at this point? Correct. Yeah. Two of six. It's a sh- short miniseries. It looks good. Taylor Kitsch, I think, is awesome. But I'm not totally into this show. Help me understand that, Dave. I think it's at a base level, it's entertaining because you're just kind of watching mm-hmm. an historical event be portrayed with good talent right. dramatically. I think the main criticism of it, which you'll see basically from anyone talking about it, is that it's, it's kind of simple it's 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 a tad low brow mm-hmm. some of the dialogue you can see it's just the way it's script very exposition-y at times the first episode when shea wiggum and michael shan are talking and shea wiggum is basically like you don't want to cross me like or something to that <laughs> effect and it's right. like you know what happens when you stab me in the back motherfucker like <laughs> it's it just it's very basic it's very simple but i think yeah. I, I always like watching recent history mm-hmm. when i'm interested by it like again i was kind of annoyed with the o- overdoing of oj but this is kind of a trend right now where like early to mid-90s stuff is recent right. enough, but also far enough away that it's primed to be adapted. The Waco stuff, I think, has made sense to make it to said miniseries. I think a lot of people were hoping that this was going to be like HBO caliber screenwriting. 
when we saw the talent involved. But, you know, for what it is, I'm content to ride it out and watch the last four. Oh, I'm definitely going to watch, especially because uh, everything I've read says episode three picks up pretty quickly and the action gets moving. For those who don't know, and maybe we should have said this at the beginning, it's about the uh, David Koresh's Branch Davidian um, and when the ATF and FBI back in 1993 had a 51-day siege on them. And Kitch is by far the standout in this. His portrayal of Koresh is mesmerizing in a yeah. way, which is exactly what they needed for the for character this thing yeah. to work. And good for Kitch because mm-hmm. he takes a lot of shit after, you know, what was it? John John Carter. John Carter. And there's two more movies. That Battleship. Were fucked. Battleship, I think, is, is entertaining at least. You get Rihanna yeah. and Taylor Kitch and Liam Neeson on the screen. That's fucking fire, dude. And True Detective Season 2 as well. Yeah, right. Oh, I forgot he's in that. I, I pretty much like block out True Detective Season 2 every chance I get. I watched the whole thing, but uh, can't tell you much about it. <laughs> the only thing I remember is Vince Vaughn having his fever hallucinations yeah. at the very in the end, desert like, walking through the <laughs> desert Jeez. Oh, what a mess yeah it's it's a little bit slow the first two episodes i'm excited to see it pick up like you said it, it's very simple and it's almost making you like sympathize with with koresh yeah in a way definitely kind of a, a hot take in, in a sense but it's definitely entertaining it's not gonna be on anyone's best of, of list but i i do think the cinematography is pretty good and yeah like you said the story is intriguing so right worth checking out it's tricking you into thinking it it was like prestige tv when it, right. it really isn't for what it is it's being well done and i, I will say i think for, through two episodes i think the, the themes with the polygamy aspect the multiple wives thing i think they're actually doing that pretty well in terms of mm. handling both sides to it so uh we'll see how that pans out but yeah overall i think you know if this is the kind of comfort tv that you make time for i think it's you know that's totally fine given what your other options i think this is still pretty solid i definitely agree speaking of comfort tv are you gonna check out bachelor winter games dude i'm out in the bachelor you're out on the bachelor now i I didn't even watch the bachelorette with rachel and i loved rachel on that nick vial season i had a nice run there uh, where I did, I did watch one of each Paradise Bachelor and Bachelorette, and you know I think I'm good. You know I, I got it. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I think that show is twice as long as it needs to be, and I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> I know because there's a lot of TV we gotta get to. There's was it Carbon Copy? Altered Carbon on Netflix Altered out Carbon. now. Carbon Copy, Jesus. Yeah, I'm watch that soon. And there's also The Alienist, which is out right now. Mosaic um, on HBO. Mosaic. Electric Dreams on Amazon. Yeah, Electric Dreams I'm not as worried about getting through. I think we can maybe pick one or two and talk about that as it comes. Right, sure, sure. I'm just going to watch it. Yeah, I don't know if we'll talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for the week. Any last thoughts just on pop culture at the moment? Well, I do want to mention Cloverfield news came in out of nowhere. Ah, yes. Super Bowl. We had mentioned, I think, last week, and we tweeted on our account, at Nostalgia Pod. Uh, Deadline had a thing about how Netflix was perhaps going to buy Cloverfield 3 slash God Particle from Paramount. And it turns out they did exactly that. It w- was called God Particle. It was a movie that was not Cloverfield. It was an old movie. Then they kind of hamstrung in the Cloverfield aspect. It may have been called Cloverfield Station at one point. Now it's called a Cloverfield Paradox. And Netflix dropped a bomb on us during the Super Bowl. Totally unexpected that it'd be available after the game. And I think that was a genius move because they just kind of co-opted the post lead-in with this is us and just got their own narrative they just bought basically advertising and the fact that it's not a good movie doesn't even matter to netflix i believe it's doing pretty bad with the critics yep it's got a 21 percent on uh, rotten tomatoes 13 positive 50 negative reviews which is obviously much different than the first cloverfield and 10 cloverfield lane which are well liked a lot but much like bright 
which Netflix proudly will tell you had 11 million viewers in the first three days and it's getting a sequel. It doesn't matter if this was good or not because it had a conversation going about Netflix and people were tuning in to watch this movie. Quite an interesting turn of events. It's basically a win-win because Paramount correctly evaluated that this was going to be a loss and that they wanted mm-hmm. to put this movie out wide, which was the plan. They're just going to lose more money as soon as they start marketing it because it was a $40 million budget. It was more expensive than the first two. So it was a smart move for everyone involved, i got to say. Uh, I feel bad for the movie itself because it's got a lot of talented people in it. It's got David Luello and Daniel Brühl and Gugu Mbatha-Ra from San Junipero, Chris O'Dowd. It's got good people in it, but alas, it's not too good. But I think I mentioned this last week, too. The fourth Cloverfield's coming in October. Well, that's still with Paramount, so the brand will keep going. But fascinating stuff. Netflix is just such a smart company at this point to take this kind of property, especially when you know it's not really good property and to drop it the way that they did and just feel all right we know that this isn't going to be something people are going to be huge about for this particular movie but to drop it on super bowl sunday and be like and then you can watch it and people are just like oh fuck i gotta get i gotta watch this exactly so smart they're gonna take over the world yeah and that kind of like brings me to like the super bowl was incredibly newsy didn't expect this like i thought oh we get the solo trailer of some kind that made sense but also, the Cloverfield thing, total bomb. Did not see that coming. A bunch of other trailers. Uh, shout out Mission Impossible 6. Looks dope. It's amazing to me that Mission Impossible is still called Mission Impossible since every single mission has been completed. If you choose to accept it, you've accepted the other missions. But again, right. we'll give you the option not to take <laughs> this one. Yeah, no, it's actually interesting because I think this was the weakest Super Bowl commercial year that I can remember. Yeah, but probably. News, news-wise, probably one of the biggest ones. What was your favorite commercial? Was it the... Peter Dinklage, Morgan Freeman one, or the Alexa one, or that and the Tide one was probably. Oh yeah, the Alexa one was good too. But Tide, I think, is the one that stuck with me just because there were a lot of them. I feel like, and then they basically just dropped like, if you don't see a stain in the commercial, it's a Tide ad. It's like, oh, that's so fucking mm-hmm. smart, right? But man, I was like not paying attention to. The- you were distraught. I was like either on Twitter or like trying to like comment or so. Also came out of nowhere. Westworld season two got oh. a, a teaser and a date. April 22nd, a little sooner than I was expecting. And we knew we'd come back this year at some point. But uh, we've talked about Westworld a lot. You can check out all our stuff, mainly from 2016, when the show was actually on again, debuted. My thoughts, and I assume your thoughts, have not really changed after seeing this teaser that doesn't do anything. No, but uh, I'm excited to maybe see Kanye songs dropped in the season. It's HBO. Not really that big a deal, but it's dropping on Friday. Pretty sure, right? Twenty Is it 20th or 22nd? 22nd. Oh, 20, then it is dropping on Sunday. Never mind. I had 23 written down, and I was like, I think that's a Friday. I'm going to watch Westworld, but it's gonna, I have a feeling it's going to be more like a hate watch for me. Oh, of course. I mean, I was more positive on the future than you were when it dropped, just because Westworld very publicly was kind of like rewritten and redeveloped as they shot it. So in a sense, I'd forgive some of the obvious narrative deficiencies, and I would like to see what they do more because right now the only thing about it that's cool is the high concept stuff that we've talked so much about. But as a TV show, it's not very interesting and there's no good characters. So I want to see if they can rectify that because obviously there's a lot of positive forces behind this. Obviously HBO wants Westworld to be their post-Game of Thrones vehicle. So mm-hmm. I'm willing to accept that it can get better. They got a lot of talent, so... I mean, if there's a show that could turn it around, it would probably be Westworld. I mean, especially with them, he's probably still using flashbacks in some respect. They're going to mm-hmm. keep a lot of, like, Jimmy Simpson and, and people like that around. So. Yeah, Ed Harris still around. Yeah, Ed Harris still there. So they can, I mean, they're not going to have Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins anymore. But yeah. 
They saved money on it because that's the only reason he was there. Yeah, put it into better writers. So there we go. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're going to wrap up there for the week. Next week, we're probably going to be giving a little bit of a Black Panther preview, maybe. MGMT album comes out Friday. Ooh, interest. Fourth album. I, I actually, I, I already bought my tickets to Black Panther because a, a friend yeah. wanted to go to see 3D. So I'll be giving oh, you my, nice. my 3D review, and then I might, if, if it's good, I might go see it just regular. Yeah, that comes out the 16th, so not this Friday, but next Friday. So we'll be, yep. of course, we're talking about Black Panther, as we said before. I assume we were going to get to some movies this week, but then a lot of other stuff happened. Yep. But uh, we'll probably get to some other Oscar movies we haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. But of course, things will happen. So yep. stay tuned at Nostalgia Pod, and uh, you'll see what we got going on. Yeah, subscribe below, share us with friends, check out. Uh, all of our, our breakout videos on our YouTube page. Share us and give us a rating review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. It helps us helps us grow. Feedback is good. At Nostalgia Pod on Twitter, at Sheeting World Peace for myself, and at Martin Swagger. You can find all that in our About section of our YouTube page. Yeah, it'll be interesting to check back in on Waco at the end. Justin Timberlake, I don't think we will be checking on. But go to our uh, Spotify playlist and check out the the rich brian songs that we we pick out and put on that it's nostalgia best of 2018 i'll tweet it out and pin it to the top of my twitter page linked at our soundcloud as well and youtube so easy to find all right but until next week that's it for us peace out